Lee and Josh. <laughs> Can you hear me? <laughs> Lee and Joshua, 22. This evening, Joshua, 22. I don't blame them because they were telling me this morning that I'm very difficult to control the volume for. They say at times I get really quiet, and so they'll lower or they'll raise the mic, and then I get really loud, <laughs> and they're caught off guard. So I need to apologize to them. I am sorry, young man. <laughs> Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, I pray that we would keep heart, and we would walk forth by faith and not by sight, even as the path ahead seems dark, dreary, even though we may not see the end. We know that we serve the one who does. He's the one who's put us there, and he's the one who's leading us on this path for his glory and for our good. Give us faith to trust you, to follow, to walk forth by faith, and not to rely on our sight. For we know that our sight deceives us and often leaves us astray, but you never do, and you will never forsake us. And what hope that gives us, what encouragement day in and day out, to know that our God will not abandon us. He is near us, and he is in control. Even tonight, as we turn our attention to your word here in Joshua 22, may your spirit work in us for your glory. May you be honored in this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Joshua 22. And Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You've kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You've not left your brethren these many days, up to this day, but you've kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren, as he promised them. Now, therefore, return and go to your tents and to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But take careful heed to do the commandment that the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now to the half, the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan. But to the other half of it, Joshua gave a possession among their brethren on this side of the Jordan, westward. And indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them and spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tents, with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, and with very much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, 
the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half the tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great, impressive altar. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan, in the region of the Jordan on the side of Israel, on the children of Israel's side. When the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. And the children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to the children of Reuben, the children of Gab, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, and to the land of Gilead. And with him ten rulers, one ruler each from the chief house of every tribe of Israel. And each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. And they came to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead, and they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord and that you have built for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us from which we are not cleansed to this day although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord? It shall be if you rebel today against the Lord that tomorrow we'll be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession among us. But do not rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us, by building yourselves an altar beside the altar of the Lord your God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing? And wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel. And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. And the children of Israel, uh, then the children of Reuben, the children of Gab and the, Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, The Lord, God of gods, the Lord, God of gods, he knows and let Israel know If it is in rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings or if to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. But in fact, we have done it for fear. For a reason, saying, in time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants, saying, What have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, you children of Reuben and children of Gad. You have no part in the Lord, so your descendants would make our descendants cease cease fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, Let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us, and our generations after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, and with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to their descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore we said that it will be, when they say this to us or to our generation in time to come, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. 
Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifices besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. Now when Phinehas, the priest, and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the divisions of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and the rulers returned from the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, from the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan, to the children of Israel, and brought back word to them. So the thing pleased the children of Israel. And the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness. For it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. This morning will be, this evening will be in Joshua. We're here in Joshua 22. And we see this witness. Remember that the Lord is God. Have you ever been surprised by something? And not surprised as, as in you're scared, but surprised as in something stands out differently than what you thought it would. A lot of times, this, at least with me, this happens with people. I'll meet someone and I have an initial reaction to that person. I have an idea in my head of what that person is like. And often I'll find to be them, I'll find them to be, to my shame probably, much better than I originally thought they would be. I think the best example of this is myself. That sounds kind of boast-worthy, but... I doubt that my first impression to my parents-in-law was a good impression. I was a 19-year-old young man, and within a year of first meeting them and first meeting Krista, Adam came down to Bob Jones University for a, for a couple weeks of summer school. Naturally, I wanted to impress the brother of this girl I was interested in. So I included him in everything that I did with my friends. We played a lot of basketball. We, we, we went to a lot of swimming holes, and we did just a lot of crazy things. One day... My friend's dad, for some reason unbeknownst to me, decided to let us take his boat out on the lake by ourselves. So I invited Adam to come with us. I thought this is a great opportunity to impress him. None of us had any idea what we were doing. And we got there, we got the boat out on the lake, and we, we got around to this place where we stopped, and we turned the boat off, and we got out, and we swam, and then we got back in the boat to, to head somewhere else, and it wouldn't start. And it wouldn't start. And it wouldn't start. So we got our cell phones out to call his dad to get some help, and we didn't have service. And so we're stranded on this finger of the lake, and we're, we're stuck. Finally, after time, we figured out that it was... It was something simple. It was just another little lever he had to pull before he could turn it on. After about three hours, we finally figured that out. 
So we get the boat going, and we go around, and, and we swim, and we jump off things, and we spend all day tubing and, and all kinds of stuff. In fact, on the way back, we got pulled over by the water safety people. Um, we weren't trying to be foolish. We just were naturally foolish. We, we had two, two tubes going behind the boat, and my friend driving and no one watching the tubes. Never crossed our minds, what if someone falls off? So he pulled us over, and, and thankfully no one had fallen off, and we took care of that. And, and we get back, and we load up, and we start heading back into town, and then the car runs out of gas. And so now we're stranded on these mountain roads, out in the middle of nowhere, till about two in the morning when his dad is finally able to drive up and to pick us up and to bring us some gas. And, and then we make it back to Bob Jones, and Adam's got class the next day. That was one of my first impressions. It was not good. It's amazing that they allowed me to marry Krista. But thankfully, those poor decisions... Well, I don't, maybe I still make poor decisions, but I think I make a little bit better decisions now. <laughs> I think I've turned out a little bit all right. But often, it's first impressions like that, that that throw us off, that give us an idea, and then it's always awesome to be proven wrong. That's what we see here with these tribes on the eastern side of the Jordan. At first, this seems like they're going to be a problem. In fact, you may remember in Joshua chapter 1, the verses 12 to 18, one of the very first things that Joshua does when he's appointed leader is he goes to these tribes and he says, hey, you committed to follow Moses. I've been put in Moses' place. I've been now tasked with leading this. Will you follow me? Will you honor what you've said? And if you remember, they say, yes, we will follow you. They will honor you. Only you Fear the Lord. So from the very beginning, we're, we're, we kind of question, well, will this work out? Will they really follow him? Will he really go, go on through the land and help them conquer? As we come to Joshua 22, we see that they have been faithful. This group that originally caused us to, to question, that, that caused worry for Joshua, turns out that they were faithful. In fact, they were, they were especially faithful. So after, as they gather, Joshua says here, then Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half tribe of and said to them, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. You've kept it. The very thing that I was afraid of, you have done. It's been approximately seven years since they first had that conversation. It's been approximately seven years as they have gone town to town and city to city fighting these battles. Seven years since they entered the land and and they had already obtained their possession. Their families are back home. They're across the Jordan, and they've gone seven years with these people. Place to place, city to city, all the time, likely longing to go home. But they have a job to do. 
And the first thing we see here is this reunion. They're sent home. Faithful. And their incredible commitment testifies to their faith. They were faithful for seven years, going town to town because they believed that God was going to give this land to them. Because they trusted in Him. They believed that they would see their possession again. They believed that they would go home. And so they're faithful. You've kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. You have obeyed my voice. They've been obedient. You've obeyed my voice that I commanded you, and you have you've not left your brethren these many days. You've been obedient and you've been faithful. You've kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord, your God. And now, God has given your brethren rest, as he promised them. Now, therefore, return. Go to your tents. Return. Go home. What a sweet and joyful reunion this must have been. Because they're coming home after seven years with their heads held high. They're not coming home in defeat. They're coming home having seen the faithfulness of God. They've seen the power of God as he has opened rivers and as he has torn down walls and he has destroyed army after army. They're coming home as faithful. They're coming home as conquerors. They're coming home to their tents and to their families, to the land of their possession. But, verse 5, but, go home, but stay faithful. Go home, but take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. Take careful heed to love your God, to walk in all His ways, to keep His commandments, to hold fast to Him, to serve Him with all of your heart, with all of your soul. Take careful heed. Go home, but stay faithful. Don't allow the comforts of life. As you go home and you settle into this this rest that God has given you, and you settle into your, your tents, don't become lazy. I have witnessed great faithfulness from you these last seven years. Stay faithful. Don't become lazy. Stay sharp. How often is it easy for us to stay faithful when, when there's a reason? Right? When life is just throwing things at us and we have nothing else to do but to cling to the truths that God has given us. We have nowhere else to go but to come to church. We have nothing else to do but to, to go to our brothers and sisters and to cry with them and to pray with them. It's easy in times like that to stay faithful. Yet how difficult is it to stay faithful when, when life slows down? When we settle into a routine? It's easy to become lazy. Look what Joshua says to them. Take careful heed. Take careful heed. You will need to. 
Don't forget what you've seen. Don't forget what God has done. Continue to be faithful. So Joshua blesses them and he sends them away to their tents. And so they go. And in verse 8, he spoke to them saying, Return with much riches to your tents, very much livestock, silver with gold, bronze, iron, very much clothing. They're not going back poor. God has given them the victory. God has blessed them. He's caused them to thrive. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. Because of their faithfulness to God, not only are they coming home now as victors, but they're coming home with the reward that God has given them. They're coming home with with wealth overflowing. God has provided for them. And so they go. They go home to this glorious reunion with their families, with their tents, with their land to take possession of of their inheritance to settle in. It's an exciting time. As we come to verse 10, there's a misunderstanding. There's a misunderstanding. As they come to this region of the Jordan, as they're heading home, they build an altar by the Jordan, a great and impressive altar, verse 10 tells us. They're excited to get home, and they're heading home, and, but they stop on their way to build this impressive, this great altar that stands out, and it catches the attention Verse 11 says, Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the half of Manasseh, have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the children of Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. What we have here is a massive misunderstanding. And is this not often how it starts? Verse 11, the children of Israel heard someone say. How often do rumors start that way, right? Well, well, someone said. Someone very rarely has a name. It's just someone. It's general. And very rarely does someone tell us the full truth. Very rarely does someone know the full truth themselves. It is true that they have built this altar. And it is true that if they have built this altar to worship God contrary to what God had commanded or to worship another God, then they deserve to be punished. But what we have here is the danger of half-truths and assumption. Look at the conclusion that they jump to here in verse 12. They see this altar and someone says, look what they've built. And so they gather together to go to war. 
Instead of inquiring and finding the truth, they jump to a conclusion. They take this, this step towards war. I think one of the truths that Joshua 22 teaches us is that zeal is good, but zeal without truth is dangerous. It's good to be zealous, but make sure you're zealous for the truth. They are zealous. They're gathering together for war. They are willing to go to war against their own people over this for the sake of what they see as as worship. Not according to what God had said. Disobedience. Thankfully, truth wins the day and calmer heads prevail as we come to verse 13. Before they go to war, they're gathering, they're, they're getting their stuff together, they're preparing to go, but before they go, Children of Israel sent Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the priest of the children of Reuben. They sent Phineas with, with ten other leaders to go and to inquire and to find out. And so they go. And in verse 16, they come to them and they say, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel? to turn away this day from following the Lord and that you have built for yourselves an altar. Right there we see an assumption. You've built an altar, therefore you've turned away from the Lord. It might look that way, but it's worth finding out the truth instead of jumping to an assumption. You've built an altar for yourselves an altar for this purpose, that you might rebellious day against the Lord. Is the, inqu- is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us, from which we are not cleansed till this day? So as they come to the people, they appeal to these two things in their past. The iniquity of Peor, and then as you get down to verse 20, Achan. We all know the story of Achan. One man disobeys. And because of that, his family suffers. And not only does his family suffer, but the entire nation suffers as 30 men are slain in war. The iniquity of Peor is revealed for us in Numbers 25, 1 to 9. It's apostasy. As the people turn to worship a false god, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them and and 24,000 people ended up dying. 24,000 Israelites. And to this day, they still felt the pain of it. Families that were wiped out. Fathers, leaders that are gone. 24,000. So in verse 18, they're asking them a question. You've seen the iniquity of Peor. You remember it. Is that not enough? Have you not learned that to this day, why are you turning away from the Lord? Did you not see that? Did you not learn? Even though they have assumed, even though they've jumped to a conclusion there's encouragement here. 
Because what we see here is that what they have done is they have learned from the past. They've learned from their failures. They're quick to jump to reaction here and maybe too quick, but the reason is because they remember the failures they've had in the past. They remember the iniquity of Peor. They remember Achan and his failure. And they've learned their lesson. They have learned that I'm not just responsible for myself. I'm responsible for the people. I'm responsible for my brother to encourage him to to be faithful. And so when you see someone else going astray, they go and they confront them. What are you doing? Are you trying to to bring the Lord's iniquity against us? The, The Lord's anger against us because of your iniquity? Look what they say. Verse 18 goes on, It shall be if you rebel today against the Lord, tomorrow he'll be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. Don't rebel. They're pleading with them here. Don't rebel. We've learned our lesson. We've walked this path. We've seen where this leads. Come back to the Lord. In fact, verse 19 this is the, listen, watch this. Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take possession among us. They're so zealous for the Lord that they're saying, if you will not be able to serve the Lord over there, we'll give you some of our possession. We will give you some of the land that God has given us because that is how important this is. Your faithfulness is more important than our land. We'll share it with you. They're willing to sacrifice some of their possession, their land, for the good of their brethren. They're concerned for themselves, but they're concerned with God's glory. They're concerned with their brethren. They understand that they have a responsibility as God's people to defend their God, to defend his glory, to defend each other. They have a responsibility for each other. They call each other to faithfulness, and that is what they are doing here. But do not rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. There was one God, and there was one altar for this God. You are out of bounds to build this other altar. You are on dangerous grounds. Then we see the remembrance. Verses 21 to 34. Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh answer. And notice the first thing that they say, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods. They recognize who their God is. They're not tempted to go astray. We know that the Lord is the God of gods. Our God is God. There is no other God. He knows our hearts. He has seen it and let Israel itself know. If it is in rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings or if to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account of us. 
We have not gone astray. Notice. Notice their reaction. Rather than being angry or offended at their brethren, they are thankful for the zeal of their brethren. They don't become angry at them for confronting them. Rather, they say, you're right. If we have gone astray, you're right. We deserve to be punished. In fact, God himself could wipe us out. But we haven't. I think there's some lessons here on confrontation. And the first thing is to be bold. These people were zealous for God and they were bold to go to them. They were not wrong in their boldness. They were not wrong when eventually they sent this party to go and to seek the truth to try to understand. You see, that's what we must do when confronting someone. Confrontation is not about tearing someone down. It's about building them up. It's about giving them an opportunity, a way forward. Be bold. Seek the truth, but seek it in love. You might be right when you confront someone, but you can be wrong in how you do it. There's a right way to do it. And you must be careful to go about it in the right way. Seek the truth, but seek it in love. Be bold. What they did wrong was they jumped to conclusions. When confronting someone, try not to jump to conclusions. I know that's difficult sometimes. But there's a way to confront someone in love, to go to them, to seek the truth, to say, hey, I love you. I care for you, and and, and I'm thankful for your testimony in church as I've seen it year after year. I remember being at your baptism. I praise the Lord for that, but there's this thing that I see in your life And I don't know if this is the case or not, but this is what it looks like to me. Is this true? There's a way to approach something without jumping to conclusions. There's a way to confront someone seeking the truth without tearing them down. I think here we also see lessons on being confronted. When someone comes to you, be thankful. I think that's their response here. They're saying, look, you're, you're right. If we are wrong, we deserve this. But we're not. Be thankful that someone cares enough to come to you with the truth, to confront you. That doesn't show that they hate you. That shows that they love you. Secondly, see their heart. If you can see someone's heart, that helps you to be thankful for them when they confront you. If you can look past the words they use, maybe, even if they're wrong in their confrontation. Look to their heart. See what they're trying to do. Understand that maybe that was the wrong way to approach it, but I see what they're saying. I am thankful that they're willing to come to me. 
They might be wrong in their conclusion, but they're right in coming to me. Be thankful, see their heart, and then be honest. If someone comes to you, be honest. I think that's what we see here in Joshua 22. We have this massive misunderstanding, and it's a misunderstanding that's about to lead half of God's people to destroy the other half. And then they take a breath, and they go and they seek the truth. And as the other half, as they come to them, instead of being offended, instead of reacting, they're thankful, and they're honest, and they answer. Look at verse 24. Here's the facts. If we're wrong, like the Lord himself would corner camp. But, in fact, we've done it for fear. We've done it because we fear the Lord. We've done it looking ahead because we are worried about what might happen for a reason, saying, in time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants, saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us. You children of Reuben, the children of Gad, you have no part in the Lord. What they're saying is this altar is a memorial. It's a, it's a reminder. Because you see, as we stand here today, you know, we fought with you. You know us. You understand that this is part of our land. But in two to three generations from now, what if your children say, look, God put this Jordan here. If he wanted you to be a part of us, he'd have put you on this side. Therefore, you're not with us. You're not with us. They fear that in time, the natural border of the Jordan will cut them off from Israel, that they may be forgotten. So your descendants would make our descendants cease from fearing the Lord. They would push them away, push them out. Therefore, they said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar. Not for burnt offerings, not for sacrifices. I'm not trying to take away from the one altar of God. That's not what this is for. This is a memorial. But that it may be a witness between you and us and two generations after us that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, with our peace offerings. That your descendants may not say, to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. And they've conquered this land. They've gone from region to region, from city to city. They've seen the importance of remembering. As Joshua has set up altar after altar, memorial after memorial, and as they've seen this, they've seen the importance of remembering what God has done, of not forgetting and so they've, they, they've come to this plan to build this altar. An altar that will stand as a monument, as a reminder to who they are, to what God has promised them. As you come to verse 31, then Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the children of Manasseh, this day we perceive that the Lord is among us. This chapter could have ended a lot differently. This chapter could have taken a turn a couple of verses back that ended in war and death. And instead, because of these, parties react rightly to each other. Because they listen, because they seek the truth. 
We perceive that the Lord is among us. It's a glorious day. It's an encouraging day. As you come to verse 34, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, called the altar witness. What an appropriate name. That's what it is. This altar stands as a witness. For it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. That your God is our God. And there may be a river that goes between us. But God is God on both sides of this river. He is our God and he is your God. He is the God. He's not just a regional God to that side of the river. He's the God of the universe. And we don't want to forget that. And we don't want our kids to forget that. And we don't want your kids to forget that. And so this altar stands as a witness. Rather than a testament to their idolatry, it's a testament to their faithfulness. It's a testament to their desire for their kids to follow this God, their God, to be faithful. I think there's many points of application as we look at this passage. There's application for dealing with one another, for confrontation. There's application to remember what the Lord has done, to take active steps to remember what the Lord has done. There's application for for us as a church body to be responsible for one another, not just to look out for my interests, but to look out for your interests. And if I see you going astray, to come to you because God loves you and because I love you. I think there's application to think ahead about sharing the gospel with the next generation. What's going to happen? How are we going to reach this next coming up generation? Our kids and their kids. What are we as a church going to do to make sure that this pulpit, is, the truth is still being proclaimed from this pulpit in 60 years? That we've not gone astray. That we've not forgotten. Be faithful. Actively remember. Fight for the truth. Fight for each other. Don't let us go astray. Bob Jones University, at graduation, to each graduating class, they say, if we ever go astray, you better come and you better fight. You better stand out front and you better let everyone know that this is not a school that preaches the truth anymore. It's your responsibility as a graduate of this university to keep us faithful. Keep keep us to account. And really that's true for each one of us. As we look at each other, we're responsible for each other. Let's keep each other accountable and let's be thankful when someone else keeps us accountable. Let's not get mad. Let's not be offended. Let's look past maybe the words that they use and look to their heart. They really do care. 
They're fighting for the truth. They care for me and they care for the Lord. We're going to close by just simply singing the doxology. Because it's short, we don't have a lot of time. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. He blessed them. He gave them the land. He gave them riches. He sent them home. They were faithful. And as they looked back and then they looked ahead, they wanted to make sure that their kids were faithful. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And let's make sure the next generation praises the same God from whom all blessings flow. Let's stand and we'll close by singing Doxology.